want to try to teach by the grace of God, if he'll let me do it this morning, on a, on a subject of the ways of God. I'm real interested in who God is. They understand his ways are past finding out. I get it. You understand that his, uh, you're not going to be able to get in the mind of God and understand it. It's a horrible mistake you make when you try to uh, get in the mode of what would Jesus do. In other words, to know what would Jesus do, you have to be Jesus. And you're a long way from that. Uh, You've got to be careful about being egotistical and believing your mind is somewhere up or close to the God who made everything that Hubble Telescope can see and many, many things it cannot see. The Bible says he made the visible and the invisible. Maybe the invisible world is even more complex than the visible world. And nobody really has seen an atom, I don't believe, or a molecule, but they hypothesize on what they look like and what they do, and they, they think they've figured out what they kind of do. At least they can use it. Uh, but the God who made all that is, there's a great book out there called Have You Considered? Have You Considered? Evidence that really kind of demands a verdict about that God created this world. If you are in doubt whether God created this world, you need to get a hold of that book. 365 days. It's 365 days, and it's only about a, about a paragraph and a half, mostly, of reasons why to believe that God had to create this thing. He had to. It's too complex, too interdependent, too interwoven to even imagine mathematically alone the probability of it just happening by chance. It just did not do that. There had to be an intelligent creator, and I believe there was. His name is Jesus. By him, all things were created, both heaven and earth. So, I want to talk to you about, biblically, something on the ways of God. Because if you understand some of the ways of God, it will help you in dealing with God on a day-by-day basis. Uh, The title of the message is, Strike While the Iron's Hot. Have you ever, how many ever heard that? All you old people. (laughs) Strike while the iron's hot. Strike when iron, you know, when you're, when you're heating up iron and you are trying to bend it or trying to make a sword or something, they, they hit it and get out the dross, or the, the bad particles. They try to get a pure metal. They put it in, they get it red hot or white hot, and then take a hammer and a beat on it. You've seen that possibly on TV. Probably rarely have you ever seen that in person. Uh, but you've seen it on TV how they then strike while it's hot. If it gets cold, it's too late. Can't do it any good. So when the opportunity comes by... Jump on it. That could be another title of what I'm going to talk about here. I want to read a few passages, a little short section of them. Um, I don't expect you to look them up except for John chapter 3, verse 8. The rest of them, I'm going to go too quickly for you. You just got to kind of sit back and bring it, by the grace of God, take it in and help you. John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus' words here, the wind bloweth where it listeth or willeth, 
and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. You don't know where it comes or goes. So is every one that is born of the Spirit of God. Now, you're never going to really figure God out and when and what his timing is. I want to give you some passages, uh, not only this one, but a few others, and ask you a question at the end of it. What do these passages have in common with each other? The next passage I'm going to read, you don't have to look this up, Psalm 32, 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. But the emphasis there, in a time when thou mayest be found. The psalmist believed that there was a time when you could find God and a time when you could not. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24, 32. If you want to make this a real serious reading this week, it will help you. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24, 32. It is a sober heads up by God to everyone that when I come by, you better pay attention. He says to these folks and, and to us in Proverbs 1, 24, Verse 24, because I have called and he refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. In other words, I came by, but he didn't pay attention. But you have said it not, all my counsel would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity, and I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. You say, will that happen, preacher? Everyone in this room probably at some time are going to face death. It's a fearful thing. Then shall they call upon me, and I will not answer. They shall seek me early. And the word early can also be translated diligently. But they shall not find me. What's that got in common with John chapter 3, verse 8, or Psalm 32, 6, or this Proverbs 124 through 28? Then I want to go to Luke chapter 19. This is, the, the, I'm going to read the whole passage to kind of give you the context of it. And, and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem finally after his entire three and a half year ministry. He's presenting himself to the people of Jerusalem as a king. They brought him to Jesus, and they, they cast their garments. They brought this colt that they found, and Jesus sat on the colt. It was a prophecy of the Old Testament being fulfilled. They brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereupon. And he went and spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, and I've been there, interesting place, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice and all the mighty works that they had seen. When I was standing in there, I was thinking about this. Saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in earth and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, and there, there are always Pharisees, from among the multitude said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said to them, I, will tell, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I love that passage. They didn't have a clue who they were talking to. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, and this is the main passage, this verse in verse 44. If, circle that word, if, if thou hast known even thou, at least in this thy day, 
the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. They missed Jesus. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side. Verse 44 being a key here. What, what do these other passages have to do with verse 44 of Luke chapter 19? They shall lay thee even with, with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. And here's the key, here's the key phrase. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. What can we learn about the ways of God from these passages that I read with you? First of all, let me point out that we must understand that God comes and God's presence comes in his own timing. God comes in his own timing. The wind bloweth where it willeth, where it willeth. In the time when thou mayest be found, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation, because I have called and he refused. All of these indicate that God comes when he decides to come into your life. Don't say, well, God did not do what he said he would because he did not come when you thought he should. He's not your errand boy. Uh, God's not working for you. You're working for God. You know what I mean? We've got to understand who the boss is on this thing. He comes based on his foreknowledge. Yes, he does. He knows the beginning and the end. He comes based on his omniscience. That's his ability to know everything, be everywhere. At the same time, amazing omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence. So who are we exactly to question his timing in our lives? But I've heard a lot of people question God and his timing in their life. Why did he do this? There's a story in the Bible on Jairus' daughter. He was a leader in the temple. His daughter was very sick, and Jesus delayed coming to him on the way to heal Jairus's daughter, a woman stopped by and grabbed his hem, uh, grabbed his grabbed his pants. You want to say grabbed his garment he was wearing, and she uh, by by touching him she was healed. Why? Well, she had faith. She said, "If I just touch his garment, I'll be healed." Her little bit of faith allowed her to be healed. Now she was uh, you know her as a woman with issue of blood for twelve years. She had hemorrhaging. And she was anemic, not enough hemorrhaging to kill her, but enough hemorrhaging to make her anemic. And living an anemic life is a horrible life. I've been anemic. I've had polycythemia vera for many years. And I, they, I was very anemic for a while. That's a horrible way to live. Had some sympathy with her on that. What it was to be no energy, weak all the time. And so he healed her. But he stopped to do that. It was quite a fuss. He called that. Who said, who touched me? Big old crowd of people. Finally, she comes forth. He talks to her about her faith have made you well. And she goes back to her house healed. Boy, girl, glory to God, a real glory to God. Well, in the meantime, a servant shows up with, uh, to Jairus in uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 35, and says, while he spake, they came a ruler of the synagogue's house, certain from that house said, thy daughter is dead. Well, they're on the way to help Jairus' daughter because his daughter's really sick, and Jesus knows, knows the urgency of that whole deal, but he delays by this issue, this woman with the issue of blood. He takes the time out to deal with her about it. 
Well, you can imagine the frustration of Jairus as he's sitting over the side going, my daughter, she's like dying now. She don't have much time to live. Lord Jesus, why don't you come? And he's taking the time and he doesn't come. So the servants show up and say, your daughter's dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? You know, another case where that happened was uh, word got to Jesus that Lazarus was just a good friend of his. Mary and Martha had a brother. His name was Lazarus. They always were good friends with Jesus and, and fed him and put him up, his disciples. And so they would often stop by with those people, and they were friends, no doubt. Well, Lazarus gets sick, and the word gets to Jesus. My brother's sick. You know, come on. He's sick bad. And Jesus, the Bible says Jesus lingered four days. He just lingered four days. And finally... Lazarus died and had been in the grave and been buried for a while already. And then, of course, they met him, Mary and Martha met him and said, you know, if you'd been here, he hadn't died. And this is one of my favorite places of all the Bible. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? They believe. And of course, the great resurrection of Lazarus, they got to see that. Rather than just seeing a sick man healed, they got to see him raise him. Even though he had been in the grave so long, she said, he stinks by now. And he came out, he didn't stink. Because God has the power over death, all of it, even the stink of death. Amen. But why in the world would he delay going to Lazarus? Why in the world would he delay going to Jairus? Because God's timing is not your timing. You know, we just in this life have to trust in his sovereignty. We have to trust in his omnipotence, his omniscience. Don't you let the devil fool you into accusing God because he didn't come in time. He didn't do what you thought he ought to do when, he, when you thought he ought to do it. Or uh, because he does something objectionable to you. God forbid that you try to condemn. By the way, to be a judge of somebody, you've got to be over them. You all know that. You don't get to be a judge in America unless you get a law degree and you get to practice law for a while and then eventually you're voted in to be a judge. That's a big position. And when you're in that courtroom, that's your room, buddy. You're the authority in that room. You're the authority over those lawyers, defense lawyer, or prosecuting lawyer, the jury. Everybody in that room, you're authority over. You don't get that like that. So when you start judging God and telling him he didn't come in the time he thought he should come, you've got to remember who you are. Are you over God? Do you know more than he knows? Do you have a grip on the big picture that he has? Think about it if you're mad at God this morning because he didn't do something in the time he thought he should do it. Think about it. Another example I see is in the healing of Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian. Well, I'll read it in 2 Kings 5. It says, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and he was honorable because... 
Of him the Lord had given deliverance to Syria. He also was a mighty man of valor. And he, but the last part of this, he was a leper. I don't care how big a position you have or how honorable you may be or whatever's going on in your life. If you're a leper, you're in the bottom of, the, you're in the bottom of it. They used to have leper colonies over in Hawaii. They had a special island that they just put all the lepers on. Why? Leprosy was contagious. It spread by touch. They didn't know about bacteria back then. They didn't know how. They just knew that if you got leprosy, you never got rid of it. And it was a flesh-eating bacteria. It literally ate your flesh while you were alive. Your fingers would, from what I've read about it, your fingers would fall off. Toes would fall off. You'd get disfigured and you'd stink because your flesh was rotting while it was on you. Yet you were alive. Maybe like the walking dead that don't exist, by the way. I mean, do some of you realize that Superman is actually fictional? (laughs) God waited for years allowing Naaman to be a leper because it was not until his timing that he was going to release Naaman. And one day a little maid showed up when they were grieving about his leprosy and said, well, in Israel, there's a prophet. His name's Elisha, and if you went to him, you could be healed. In the time that thou mayest be found. Had they not taken, had they not jumped on that, they had this opportunity, this little maid said, hey, there's a man by the name of Elisha, and if you go to him, he can be If they had not jumped on that, When God came by through a little maid, an unsuspecting source, that's another thing. Don't judge the source. Naaman would have missed out. Now, I'm not telling you the end of the story yet on that. When God calls on you, strike while the iron is hot, brother, when God comes by. So number one, when God comes by, he comes by in his timing. Number two, the number two truth I want you to get is God tends to come in seasons rather than constantly. The wind bloweth where it listeth or willeth. God comes in his timing, and God comes in seasons. He's come in seasons here at the gospel. I've been here so long that I have seen God come and if you charted Gospel Baptist history, you would chart it like this. Notice I'm going up, right? And then we went to our, a peak of it. If you count attendance as our high point, and now we've come down some. And then we may go up some. Amen? We go down. You're not going to... And if, you, if I charted your life, it'd be that way. If I charted your spiritual life, it'd be that way. Yeah. Nobody's spiritual life's like this. There's no Superman. But we have spiritual highs and then we have spiritual times when we're close to God. And times when we fall back and we can't seem to find God. The wind blows, but it doesn't blow all the time. It blows in seasons. We have a windy season here in South Florida. It's in the month of March. And then we have a windier season in June, July, August, September, October called the hurricane season. My mother, God bless her memory. My mother, uh, she got saved 33 years old. She was a hard 
living woman. She had a foul mouth. Their whole family were cussers. I don't know if you've been around people who cuss. They were cussers. Her dad was a cusser, and she picked it up. She had to be, my, her mom died at nine years old, so she had to, her dad came to her and says, you got to grow up. You don't get to grow up. You got to be that. You got to be the one cleaning the house, doing the dishes, making the food. Now you you're you got to take the place of your mother. And my mom grew up real quick. Mister Mom, of course, had to grow up. Worked out in asparagus fields. Of course, I heard about that a hundred times. I picked asparagus for twenty five cents an hour. I walked to school five miles uphill both ways. My mama got saved, 33 years old, a hard woman. She got born from above. She got born, she got born. And God came in a season to her and, and would wake her up at night and she would write poetry. And it seemed like it gave her, I have her poetry, a book of poetry about that thick. I've kept it looking over once in a while. God just gave her these poems and, and just sweet sweet fellowship. You could tell by the poem there was just an intimacy of fellowship and a walk with God that, was, that, is, that any of us would want and, and can have and, and have, indeed have had. And so, but it didn't last. It didn't last. It came and then it left. God comes in seasons. He's not all, I mean, yes, he's always there. The Holy Spirit never leaves us nor forsakes us. But I'm talking about coming in that kind of season where he's, where it seems like he's just right in the presence of, uh, A.W. Tozer would say, the very manifest presence of God is in my midst. He comes, but he comes in seasons. In the book of Judges, we see maybe as clear as anywhere in the Bible how he comes in seasons. He'd come for 40 years and help people out. They would backslide and, and he'd, he wouldn't be, he would forsake him for a while because they were backslidden and he'd punish them by lack of presence. In the, in the prophet Amos, eight, chapter 8, verse 11, he says this, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a, fam nor a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of God. God forbid that we have to live through a season where the word of God is so hard to find. God don't send a famine of the word of God, but he did to those folks. So God comes in his times, God comes in his seasons, and thirdly, God comes from people, places, and things that you do not expect him to come from. He'll come out of what I call left field. Well, let's go back to Naaman. So Naaman's told by this little girl, which was an unexpected source, that there was a prophet in Israel. Why don't you go and get healed? Now, I, I know when you read through the Bible, it's not po almost not possible for us to get empathetic to get into the shoes of somebody with leprosy. I've never had leprosy. I've had migraines, so if you say you've had migraines, you and I are like one. I've had gout, and I had a new family member this week 
uh, brother, uh, the fireman, brother Robert Jensen, had gout this week for the first time. He joined my family. And, and he had a new understanding in his eyes when I talked to him that I never had seen there before. When I told him I had gout before, it was like, yeah. I tell Bob Morris, he says, just get over it. No sympathy. Wait till Bob's foot. Well, I mean, I'm not wishing it on you. But brother, if you haven't had, and I haven't had leprosy, my, oh my, what it must be like. To be the, a, 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 guy, a guy that was greatly used of God to, to deliver uh, right next to the king in importance, and yet you can't even go around people. They weren't even supposed to be in the presence of other people. They were supposed to, they, they'd cry when they'd come in a room, unclean, unclean. They were commanded to cry, unclean, unclean. And so old Naaman knew that kind of humility in life. They didn't make it, he'd give everything he had, his position, his power, everything to get over this leprosy. This little girl, God comes through this little a slave girl. And he jumps on, he picks it up. His wife said, let's do it, let's go, that's fine. So go to the king, the king says, go, 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 go. So he goes with his entourage and a bunch of gifts I mean, he's got lots of nice stuff to give to the prophet. He shows up at Elijah's house, and and I'm going to say God told this to Elijah because normally you wouldn't do this. Elijah didn't even go out of the didn't go out of the house and meet the guy. Didn't even see the guy. Didn't give the guy the time of day. You know what I'm saying? Guy traveled all that way, found Elijah, and Elijah didn't even show his face. I'm sure God told Elijah to do that. He sent Gehazi, his servant, little servant guy, sent him out there and says, you go tell him that if he wants to be healed, to go to the Jordan River, which was the muddy Jordan. It's a muddy, nasty old river. Muddy Jordan. And by the way, back then they used rivers for sewage disposal. Animals always bathe upstream from the animals. Do you all get why? Do you understand why I said that? Are any of you get any of you with me? So he goes in this, he's told to go to this old muddy Jordan River and to dip himself seven times, not one time, not two times, not three times, seven, of course we know the number of God, seven times into that river and he'll be clean. And he tells Gehazi, I thought, you know, the prophet would come out at least and see me. And I thought somehow he'd crawl out to his God and he would wave over my area where I was sick and somehow he had this expectation of God that almost cost him from being healed from leprosy. How about you? People come in this church sometime and they say, well, we don't, we don't quite like the way the music is. It's not, it's not got enough beat. It's not got enough jingle. It's not, we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, stand by. And, and they walk away from where they could meet God. Because they, they had an expectation of God that wasn't real. God was coming in a different way than what you thought. And in this particular case, he, went, he got furious. The Bible says this man, he got full of wrath. Naaman, he was used to telling people to do something. They did it, you know, and I mean, with life or death. So he gets back to the chariot. They take off. God bless his, one of his servants got a hold of him and says, now, now, master, 
had the prophet told you to do some great feat or something, you would have done it. You would have won it. You would have done it, wouldn't you? Now, oh, yeah, to get rid of leprosy. He said, but the prophet just told you to go to the... Well, he said, are not our two rivers cleaner, better than these old muddy river called Jordan? Aren't they? And of course, the prophet said, yes, but he told you to go to the Jordan and to dip seven times. Had he told you some other thing, well, you would have done it, but why don't you just go do it? And doesn't God... Wouldn't that be some good advice for you sometime? Quit trying to reject God because he doesn't come in the way you think, in the time you think, in the season you think, through the people you think. And reject the healing. Reject the power that's coming. So Naaman finally comes to his senses about it. What's he got to lose, right? He's going to do it. So he goes down the Jordan River. The Bible says he had to dip himself seven times. Now, I don't quite know how that worked out. He could have, he could have been on shore, went into maybe this deep, Went backwards, forwards, I don't know, it doesn't say, but he went and dipped himself underwater, came out, maybe went back up to the shore. His servants were with him, the entourage are looking on. He goes back into the, into the Jordan River, it's all muddy, nasty. He goes, dips himself one more time, looks, still got the leprosy, still got it. He goes back up to shore, that's two times, you counting. And he goes back in and he dips himself, that's three times, looks himself, still got the leprosy, goes back to shore, comes out, okay, goes back now. You know, he's thinking, man, I'm, I'm getting mocked here. You know, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. He goes back in number four time. He comes back. Was that number four? You better keep counting. Number he goes back in and he comes back and he goes back in here number five. And he goes, remember, this is real. And he comes back out on the shore and he's like, still got the leprosy. He's thinking, imagine what's going through the man's mind. He goes back out. He goes back in river number six. He dumps back down in the river underneath, comes back out, got mud. You know, who knows what's flowing in that river. And uh, he comes back out and he goes, this is the seventh time. Okay, here we go. He goes back in and he dips himself yeah. under the seventh time. <laughs> it's simple childlike obedience to God, not understanding it. He didn't have to figure God out. He just accepted it. When you accept God, when He comes to you, or will you reject Him because He don't meet your criterion? I didn't think a preacher should be like that, or I didn't think the church should be, I didn't think this and that. I can imagine Naaman coming out looks at his hand. It's like a baby's butt. <laughs> Supple. Because when God gives you new skin, he don't just give you new skin, girls. He gives you real nice skin. And he gets, he see it, he looks, he, he looks, he, he looks, he maybe he had some on his face, I don't know and, his servants, his servants seem to come out and they no longer has a leprosy on them and they throw, man, the old Syrians had them an old camp meeting spell that day. They got excited. <laughs> you, you, nobody gets away from leprosy. And you'll never get away from sin without Jesus. And you'll never get away from the consequences of sin without Jesus. 
You can try every other method, every other way you want to do it, but you'll never get away from it unless you come to the creator of all. The one who died on old Calvary and shed his blood and was resurrected the third day for your sins. And you will have to humble yourself. You'll not come to him on your way, your time, your season, through your people. You're going to have to come to God his way, his time, his season, his people, his book. So come, and so I may say it this way, strike while the iron's hot. If you feel the presence of God in a service, you hear a sermon preached and you feel the presence of God speaking to you, oh, I want to give you a heads up. And he's trying to get you to quit something or maybe start something that's holy and righteous. You need to strike while the iron's hot. People sometimes will come to a gospel preaching service and they're lost without Christ undone, without God in the world. And they're going to hell. If they die because they're going to have to answer for their own sin, the Holy Spirit comes by, shows them Jesus, and die, and they they think, well, well, if I if I get saved, I'm going to have to quit. I had a helper one time say, if I get saved, I have to quit going to the honky tonks, or I'll have to quit doing this, or what? And you know what's stupid thinking? And he said, well, maybe maybe uh, maybe maybe I'll do this later on. I've heard people tell me I'm going to live and sow my wild oats and do my wild stuff. And then when I get all worn out and old like you are, I'm going to get saved. I got saved at 18 years old. Well, I still had a lot of wild in me. But I, I remembered my youth. I remembered my creator in the days of my youth. Before the evil day came. Yeah. Why don't you say, I'm going to give my youth to God. I'm going to give my best years to God. I'm going to give my strongest years to God. I'm going to give my most intelligent years to God. Not after I've wasted everything I got and I got three, four different diseases, taking 15 different pills, and then I'm going to turn to God. You'll not do it your way. You'll do it his way or not at all. May the Lord give you this truth. May he speak to you today. And if he is speaking to you, it's a high privilege. And all I can say is strike while the iron's hot. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you do a great and mighty work which we know not. Your hand, the Holy Spirit, be upon the words of God. Strike from the memory of these folks anything that contradicted the word of God. May, Lord God, some people in this room trust Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, before it's too late. You say, I got tomorrow. No, you don't. All we have is today. And you don't even know if you got the whole day. You only know you have this moment in time, right now. If you're without Jesus, I adjure you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you be willing to repent of your sin and trust Christ with your little childlike faith you got in. Trust him as your Savior and Lord. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. My dear fellow human, don't miss Jesus when he comes by. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 947 one two eight five. Thank you and God bless.